Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon. Thanks for joining us for our worship service today. We continue to offer online services. Hope you're enjoying those, both the equipping service as well as our exploring service on the app or website. We also have live services, been going on for about 10 or 11 weeks now. You can come on a Sunday morning at 9.15 or 10.45 for live services. We have about 100 person capacity here in the chapel and about 200 additional seats in the tent. And as the temperatures have started to drop, we're making the tent available to be a little bit warmer as the season changes. We have actually added not only some walls, but some doors. And yet we've also added a walkway. So if you're coming out of our main building, you can stay dry or stay warm on your way into the tent. Now still dress like it's outside, but we have added heaters to make it nice and warm out there. And again, we wanna continue to use that tent as long as possible. So again, if you're enjoying the online services, keep enjoying them. If you're ready to gather together with us on a weekend at 9.15 or 10.45, feel free to make reservations on our website. Go to horizoncc.com backslash reopen. Look forward to seeing you either online or on the weekend. Hope you enjoyed the service today. Well, last we left off with David, he was in trouble. Do you remember? In fact, the whole book of 1 Samuel is really about a story arc for two kings, Saul and David. A quick reminder, 1st and 2nd Samuel originally were one big book. And in one sense, Saul has risen to power in the first half of the book. And then he has come crashing down to ultimately where we left off two weeks ago. He's at the Witch of Endor, something he declared an abomination and illegal years earlier. David, on the other hand, has had some ups and downs. But every time he's on his way down, like killing the ball... He repents and he moves toward God. Then we saw he's been really moving away from God recently, right? And yet, he's starting to repent. However, it's gotten tough. This next repentance has gotten tough. He's just arrived in Ziglag, and here in Ziglag, all of his family has been kidnapped, and all of his men's fellow warriors' families have been kidnapped. Will they get them back? Will he turn back to God after like 16 months of not seeking God? Quick background to where we've been. In chapter 21, David was seeking God at Gath. Chapter 22, God speaks to David through the prophet Gad. Chapter 23 is the last time, seven chapters ago, that David actually inquired of the Lord. For 18 months, he hasn't talked to God. He's talked about God. Chapter 24, he spares Saul, talks about God, but not to God. Chapter 25, he's going to kill an unarmed man, but he repents. He reconsiders. Chapter 26, he spares Saul again. David, in chapter 27, leaves Judah, mm, God told him not to, to fight the Philistines. Chapter 28, David joined King Achish, the king of the Philistines, and Saul... Oh, our other king pops back up, refuses to repent when God gives him a chance. Chapter 29, David goes to battle against the Israelites, the people he's supposed to be king of. He's about to fight with the Philistines. And now in chapter 30, David, for the first time in 18 months, is going to strengthen himself in the Lord to rescue the families that have been in trouble. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now it happened 
when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoham, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people, his fellow mercenaries, spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was so grieved. Every man was grieved over his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now don't miss that. 18 months he hasn't sought God or talked to God, but things have gotten so bad He's strengthening himself in the Lord. This is a major turning point. Quick reminder where we are. He was up in Gath, about to battle against the Israelites from Judah. While he's here, the Amalekites came up and attacked him, attacked his family, which he'd left behind unguarded in Ziglag. He has now left Gath, made his way to Ziglag. The Amalekites have already left and taken his family kidnapped. So he's at Ziglag crying and weeping because his family is gone. And it's here in Ziglag that he strengthens himself in the Lord. Here's what happens in the next verse. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail, recover all. After all the ways David has rebelled, after all the months, almost two years of ignoring God, the minute he strengthened himself, the minute he reached out, God responded. And he responded with a promise. It's a powerful promise. In fact, we're gonna look at three different aspects of promises we can hold on to. And one of those is this promise that even when we've done the wrong thing, God is so gracious and so merciful. And he says, I'm going to help you recover it all. Let's see what happens in the text today. So David went with that promise in hand. God is with me. He and his 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook Besor, where those stayed were left behind. But David pursued, he and all 400 men, we're going to get our families back. For 200 stayed behind. Oh, they learned their lesson. Let's protect the homestead. So those who were so weary, they could not cross the brook. Remember, they just came from a battle, just traveled south, and now they're having to travel again. So some are like, I got to take a break. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David. So some guy's kind of wandering out there in the brook. And they gave him bread and water and let him drink. Now, you can see already God has used David's repentance, strengthening and inquiring. He's given him a promise. They happen to come to a brook where they happen to come across a guy who's happened to see what happened to their family. 
this whole chapter is filled with coincidences or God incidences. And look what this Egyptian says. Right here at the brook, they come to this area. And as they arrive, they realize this is the spot that somebody stopped for a moment. And right near this brook, near that tell, they get a little piece of how to pursue their family. I mean, imagine this dried up riverbed. If it's, if it's a rainy season, this thing is filled, this brook. During the dry season in Israel, it's all dried up. So as they come across this brook wondering, are we ever going to get our families back? Am I ever going to see my wife again? Somebody kidnapped my children. But they're holding on to this promise. We're going to p- obey God and pursue and try and overtake, as David requested of God, in hopes that God will fulfill his promise. That everything we had taken will be recovered. And they gave this Egyptian a piece of, a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. This guy's, wow, he hasn't anything to eat or drink. Then David said to him, hey, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he says, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. Ding, 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 ding. The Amalekites abandoned this guy because he was too weak. He was slowing him down. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Chitharites in the territory which belongs to Judah. Mm. And of the southern area of Caleb. And we, I was part of the group, that burned Ziglag with fire. We have an eyewitness to exactly what happened to David's family. Now look at that. David inquires of God. He holds on to a promise from God. He serves someone in need. And it's in the middle of just doing God's kingdom work that God begins to affirm and give him direction on where to go next. Isn't that powerful? That's what he's saying here. That's the promise you can hold on to. We can count on God to give us more details as we obey. I know for me, I'd rather say, God, give me all the details, then I'll obey. God says, that's not how it works. You obey, pursuit overtake. And as you're pursuing, as you're obeying, as you're doing what I've told you to do, I'll give you the details. Count on me. But also count on me to not give you details until you obey. Reminds me of a story. Just about a month ago, I was learning how to sail, which was a lot of fun. I was down at Key West, and we got on this catamaran, 42 foot, and I was learning how to sail the ship. But what was most interesting is I met our captain, Brad Barker. He was a follower of Jesus. He worked in counterintelligence, uh, dealing with terrorism for many, many years, and he kind of got burned out with all the bad news. And he loved sailing. And so because he'd become an expert witness in several documentaries, he decided to take his whole video team and video crew And not just sailing, but he also loved riding motorcycles. So to kind of chill out from years of being involved with terrorism, he decided to create some space for God to work. He said, I really felt like God was telling me this crazy idea to go and take a video team and go around the world on my motorcycle and see what God might do. That sounds crazy to me. It probably sounds crazy to you. 
So sure enough, he gets on his motorcycle. He got a sponsorship from BMW in San Diego and BMW uh, internationally. He happens to be in Haiti, riding his motorcycle over a volcano at the time with a full video crew doing a documentary when the Haitian earthquake hit. Now, what I didn't know about that Haitian earthquake years ago is that all of Parliament was in session at the time. And that earthquake smashed their House of Parliament and everyone in the government died like in a minutes. So he is there and has always had a passion for God to help the hurting and the needy. He now finds himself in one of the most mission-critical needy places in the country on his motorcycle. Now, at that moment, he says, over the next couple weeks, money starts pouring in from all over the country, but everything is so disorganized because the government has literally been shut down because everyone in the government died. But he was there with all these connections from his military buddies, ex-Navy SEALs, some on the island, some internationally. He calls them up and they begin to take the BMW he's riding and other motorcycles and they're the ones that are creating a distribution network to get the food from where it's coming in from the different countries, the UN, France, England, America, and actually getting it to the people in need. In fact, BMW International was so impressed, they, they sent another video team down there to do a commercial. When the world's in need, BMW is there. I was like, that is incredible. I said, how did you get part of that story? He said, I don't know. But here's what I found in my life. When you create space for God, when you obey whatever he's calling you to do, it's amazing how God fills that space by calling you to a greater purpose. In one sense, he was just going for a motorcycle ride. Taking a year off from a very stressful job. But he obeyed God in a really weird way. And he found he could count on God to give him details. And the stories continued that next year. The ways in which God worked in his life were powerful. But it began with an act of obedience. We can count on God to give us more details when we obey. But there's a second promise in the text. There's a second thing that David held on to. It's already obvious, but it becomes even more obvious. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, it says, David says to this guy, can you take me down to the troop? See, the details are starting to come out. So he said, swear to me by God that you neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. If I'm gonna betray my master who abandoned me, which you did save my life, just don't give me back to them, it'll kill me. Don't deliver me into the hands of my master. I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down there, There they were, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Now look what's happening. God is continuing to show details as he obeys, shows kindness. Now he makes it. He's now holding on to this promise God gave from from a couple verses ago and saying, there they are. And they've got our stuff. And they're eating and drinking with our spoils. He calls his men together as they're watching the horizon. It's time to get our family back. Then David attacked. They attacked him from twilight hours until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Be careful, they spit. 
So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. Mm, nothing. Look at this. Nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. What does that sound like? Sounds like the fulfillment of the promise God gave them just a few verses ago. I would have said that's crazy. There is no possible way they would recover all. Maybe half, maybe a third. It'd be nice to get 80% back. But they kept pursuing God and God in his mercy and God in his kindness and God in his love allowed them to be fully restored where no relationship and no child was lost. Now think about the journey they've been on, right? David took all the flocks. So he had all their spoils and he's got the spoils of the Amalekites now who've been raiding all kinds of people. So David took all the flocks and the herds that they had driven before those other livestock and he said, guys, this right here is David's spoil. We earned this. This belongs to us now. So remember, they're in Gath. They've gone all the way down to Ziglag. They follow from Ziglag, hear from God. They end up down here at this brook. They're at the brook. They run into the Egyptian. He tells them how to get to where the Amalekites are camped. And when they get there, they find that exactly what God told them back at Ziglag has come true. Which is what? You can count on God's promises. God's faithful. God is trustworthy. When everything else seems like it's crazy, everything else is out of control, everything else is uncertain, we can count on God. We can count on God's promises. In fact, I ran into a friend recently. We were interviewing him for our series in Nehemiah. My friend Dave talked about how when tragedy struck, when embarrassment struck, God used that moment in his life. Circumstances he didn't want. Circumstances he didn't need. A humiliation he didn't want to experience. And yet God began to whisper to him during that time to serve others, to care for others. And it was through that experience God led him to the next stage of his life and his career. Listen to Dave's story and see if God might be prompting you to serve others and count on his promises when you go through uncertainty as well. I think whenever God begins to shape us, it's ultimately him inviting us into a closer relationship with him. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. Like, where did you grow up spiritually, and how did God use that to form some of the ventures that you have right now? Well, um, I feel like I've always had a strong faith. I grew up Catholic, and as which you were forced to have a strong faith. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've just always been a believer in that God puts us on this earth for a purpose, and he speaks to us. And he speaks to us in the form of that little voice in your head. And, and I just think, unfortunately, we as humans don't listen enough, and we overrule. And so I've, you know, come to learn that when I listen to him and I listen to what he's telling me to do, even though it may not seem like the right path, it's the beginning of the, the right path. And, and I had a, you know, experience in my 
professional life that uh, I was at Convergys for nearly 20 years. The last three years, I was CEO of Convergys. And to my surprise, I was fired mm. in 2010. And I didn't do anything wrong. It's the board wanted to go a, a different direction. We had a falling out. But it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. Um, front page of the Inquirer, back when people read the Inquirer, my kids heard about it at school. I mean, I wanted to run away and hide. And, and, um, but I had um, made a commitment that same year to run the United Way campaign for all of greater Cincinnati. And that's the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to be out in public. It's going to be embarrassing. And, and, and so he started, you know, he just kept speaking to me. I'd come up with an excuse and he kept saying, you need to do this. And so I went forward and, and did it. And it helped me learn about a lot of the challenges we have in terms of education and poverty in the greater Cincinnati um, uh, area. Mm. And um, so I finished the campaign, ran the campaign, and a friend approached me uh, about coming in and running economic development for the chamber. Again, something I really, I didn't have any experience with. I really didn't want to do. I still wanted to run away and hide. And, and again, he kept saying to me, you got you to gotta do this. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with you again. And um, I, I did, and it helped me learn about the challenges companies were facing in terms of getting the workers they needed with the right skills. And so I finished that up, and then I started thinking, the experience of United Way with challenges in the community, then the challenges employers are having and taking some of my business experience, a business I knew at Convergys, putting all three of those things together and forming education at work. And that's a company that you started? It's a company that, uh, that we founded that's designed to you know, help college students get through college more affordably. Hmm. So they go through the program, they can pay for 80 to 90% of their college and then get a job with many of the companies that were, you know, were doing the, the workforce. So I, I put together the business plan and we needed to raise, you know, three and a half million dollars to, to get it going. And I went out and I talked to every, seemed like everyone in the community and, and everybody thought it was a great idea, but I couldn't get anybody to commit wow. the money that we needed. So eventually um, one night I remember going home and talking to my wife, Kim, again, he's speaking to me saying, hey, you got to show people you're all in. We need to make a substantial financial investment in this to be the first ones in if this is going to, if we're really going to do this and make it a go. And he told me we needed to do that. And I said to Kim, Kim, we need to do this. So we did. And then shortly after that, the rest of the money started coming in from College of Mount St. Joe, University of Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky University. And uh, we raised the three and a half million dollars. Uh, we started in 2012, and now, um, you know, through this year, have helped uh, in terms of assistance. You know, over 60 million dollars paid to students. Thousands of students have been benefited, and then the average starting salary of these students once they graduate is 75,000 dollars a year. So, you know, it's been a, a great opportunity for having both, you know, success and creating an environment where, you know, people can earn a good living, but also significance where you have an organization that really is all about helping these students be successful. And, uh, you know, that's a powerful force when, when you're able to put it together. Again, I think what I love about that part of the story, too, is that it just started with you serving other people, 
It started with saying, you know, I don't necessarily want to do this, but if there's a need, I want to meet you in the need. So that's what God does. What are you uniquely positioned for? What are your skill sets that you have that maybe are being untapped? And how might God use all of us to move from success to significance? Wasn't that powerful to see how God used a challenging circumstance to begin to unfold a whole new arena of ways in which Dave could serve and Dave could be part of what God was doing. It's hard to do that, though, when you're staring at the ruins of Ziglag, right? Burned down, broken down, burned up walls, when all of your dreams and all of your hopes seem like they're in shambles. It's hard to count on God when everything around you looks broken. And yet what Dave found and what David found in the Bible is that God has a perspective. He can see things we can't see. When we see only rubble and burned down walls and stone broken pieces everywhere, God says, I can see some promises in the future for you. I got a chance to see this kind of firsthand a very interesting way when I was down in Key West. What was fascinating is we got there and we went to a shipwreck museum. And the shipwreck museum, on the very top of it, they would build these gigantic towers because in those days in Key West, the whole economy was built on if a ship wrecked, first one out there would yell, wreck ho! And if you made your way out there, you got the larger sum and portion of everything on the shipwreck. And so they would build these massive towers, one still on the shipwreck museum, so that if you climb up there, and I climbed up there, you could see for miles in all directions. It was amazing the vantage point difference. That's kind of what God's promises are like. When you're stuck in kind of the grind, God's from the top going, wreck ho, I got some promises for you. There's some things out there you're gonna have to work for, but there's a treasure to be found. In fact, what's interesting is while we're at the shipwreck museum, I heard a fascinating story. Like I said, the first one historically to the shipwreck got the largest piece of spoil. And so one of the stories, true story told about a pastor. The pastor was up delivering a message one day and everyone was looking at him delivering the, the sermon that day. But he could see out the back door and he could see the ocean from the church's view. So he was preaching about David, for example. David, and David did this and David did that and he's being chased, chased by King Saul. And all of a sudden the pastor saw that through the window, out on the ocean, a ship was going down. But he knew if he yelled, Rick Howe! Everyone would beat him to the back door. So uncharacteristically, he came down off the pulpit. Oh, he was preaching about David and preaching about King Saul, but he came down and said, and now for the nugget of the day, the nugget of the message. Remember what the apostle Paul says. He says that we have a race run before us. We all have a race, don't we? And he came down to the second row. People never seen the pastor so animated. We have a race, don't we, Bob? Yes, we do. He walked to the fourth row. And don't you, Mary? Yes. We all have a race to run. And God says, we must run the race set before us to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. And with that, that pastor had made his way to the back of the church, closest to the door. He then turned his congregation, now looking at him, blocking the door and says, and just as there's an eternal race for the treasure God has before us, so there's a race for us to begin today. He turned and looked out over the ocean, wreck ho, and he outran his congregation to the spoils. God's perspective, what looks like a shipwreck, turns into a spoil. And God uses this moment in David's life to be a shipwreck that turns his heart back to him. 
and he ends up with a spoil. And the same thing is true for David. And that brings us to the third aspect we can count on. And this is so powerful here that we can count on God's generosity. And yet God has given all this spoil, what they had plus all this additional spoil. And now they're going to have to decide how do they steward what God's entrusted to them. Are they counting on God's generosity? And are they letting that transform their hearts? Three ways to deal with God's generosity. Number one, a sense of entitlement. We earned this. We're not going to share it. That's what you see. David came to his 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David. Remember they're back there at the brook? Whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. Just too tired, guys. You missed out. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Hey, good to see you guys. All racked up with treasure. But here's a question. Is David going to share the treasure? All the things God just gave him. The 200 people who couldn't make it with him. Is he going to share with them? Or is he going to be stingy? Hold back. I earned this. I did the battle. This is David's spoil. How will he handle God's generosity? I earned it, so I won't share? We'll see. Then all the wicked and worthless men who went with David, what a great description. All the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, hey, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil which we have recovered. They sound like pirates back then. Now, except for every man's wife and children. We'll give them their children back, but they don't get any of the money that they may lead them away and depart. Even though God, we, we, we thought we lost our families. God's restored it. All of our treasure, plus additional treasure from everything the Amalekites stole. But we're not going to share it because we earned it. So we're not going to share it. That's one perspective. But look at how David replies. David says, God did this. We can't not share We've got to be generous. We've got to do unto others what God's done unto us. David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Let's not mistake. We fought a battle, but we didn't accomplish this. This is God's generosity to us. Who has preserved us? God has. He's delivered us into the hand of the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies, and they shall share alike. Now remember how they got into this problem? Everyone went to battle at Gath, and because no one was left behind to defend the place, they lost their family and kids. David's like, maybe we should learn from this lesson. We need to leave people behind to defend what matters, our family. And so maybe a rule of thumb should be that when people go off to battle, the people who battle are just as important as, as those who stay behind to defend. Let's share what God's given us equally. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that the perspective God wants for us? But David goes even farther. Look what happens. So it was, from that day forward, this becomes a rule of thumb. He made it a statute and an ordinance of Israel to this day. We reward those who go, and those who stay to defend. But then he continues his speech. Look what he says. Now when David came to Ziglag, they're back home, burned down walls, time to restore. 
he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah. Guys, God's been so good to us. You didn't even go with, you're not even in the army, but look how good God's been to us. He, he shares with the, with the elders of Judah. And to his friends, guys, look how generous God's been. I want to be generous to you. Saying, here is a present for you from the spoil from the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel and those who were in Ramoth of the south and those who were in Jatir, and it goes on and on. To those who are in Ur and those who are in Sifmoth and those who are in blah, 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 blah. But look at all the giving he's doing to this city and this city and this city. David decided to go above and beyond to be generous with God's given him to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to roving. David started thinking about all the places that he'd been in his life. He said to himself, God's been so generous to me. Why don't I just look at all the places I've been and scatter God's spoil to the communities and cities I've been. Let's bless the whole country based on how God's blessed me. If you look at those cities on the map, it was all over Judah. These are the cities he mentions. He sends money here and here and here and here and here and here. He goes from this is David's spoil to this is everyone's spoil. Let me give you just a, a few scenes from some of these cities. This tell and Horma received the spoil. This place, Barashashan, received David's spoil. Atach, all through the countryside, people were experiencing God's generosity. I think that's what God wants from you and I. Will we receive the generosity from God that we didn't deserve, his mercy, his kindness, his responding when we're in trouble, when we've ignored him for years, and will we lean in to God? So I think that's what God's getting at here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. What's he saying here? He's saying God has been so merciful, so kind, and so generous that we need to repent, right? Like David did. What areas do you need to turn back to God? Repent. And then receive God's generosity of grace, of forgiveness, and financially the way he provides for us. But don't stop there at repent and receive his generosity. Then Pass it on, right? Pass it on. Don't keep it to yourself. God wants you to do what David did. Don't think it's my spoil or it's just for those who worked. How can I be generous to everyone around me? Look what he says here. 1 Samuel 30, verse 23. So David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given to us. The Lord has given to us. We've received from the Lord his generosity. So verse 26 we got to pass it on. So David came to Ziglag. He sent some of the spoil to the elders. And he said, here's a present for you from the spoil of the Lord. No longer does he see this as the spoil of David. He sees it as a spoil of the Lord. You know, the last nine months have been crazy. I mean, it has been struggling with uncertainty, burned down walls in our lives, things we didn't think would ever burn down suddenly became giant question marks. And God wants to use this time for you and I to repent, to lean into him, to depend on him in ways we never have before. 
as a church, we've certainly had to figure out what do we do during this time? One of the things we've done is try to say, how do we create innovative ways to keep us in the Bible, to help all of us learn how to lean into God when we have these zigzag moments? And boy, the last nine months, we have been filled with God's generosity. In fact, I've had four or five people came up to me, maybe 20 now, who said, Chad, can you believe how faithful God was in having our video equipment put in place in time for COVID to hit? I said, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing how those of you who gave financially to be part of putting this, these equipment, these tools together, and God's used them during this time. And for six months, we were closed to the public. About 10 weeks ago, we felt like God was prompting us to take the generosity he'd given to us and safely, with your concern in mind, six-foot social distancing, reopen. So we were open two services. Sure enough, 25% capacity in here, 100 people, both services. And then we, we, we rented a tent and then we, we bought the tent because about twice as many people are out in the tent now because they can watch the services out there. And we opened student ministry about four weeks ago. And our children's ministries offering family picnics and family activities after services. We're trying to find ways to look at our own zigzag and saying, God, what are the promises you have for us? How do you restore what God, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? And God has continued to be faithful. God continues to be incredibly generous. And maybe as you think about God's promises in your life, what he's done, how faithful he's been, Maybe he's prompting you to think about ways of giving your time. As we reopen, we need volunteers to help us clean the seats. We, we need volunteers to help greet for the services that are open. But maybe it's financial, like David, that you're saying, you know what, I have some resources. And you know what, I can't not share it. How can I be part of what God's doing? I believe in these online services. I believe in the live service. I want to help rebuild the walls that Horizon's in right now. I want to financially be part of that. I want to give my spoil to all the different cities and all the different areas. I want to know what it looks like to pass on the generosity of God. If God's calling you to that, make this a time in your life that you grow spiritually, grow in dependence, grow in repentance, but also a time that you grow in giving. So there's lots of ways you can give at Horizon. You can go to our website, www.horizoncc.com. You can download our app. There's a place to give on there. But just begin to ask God, God, how can I repent and receive your generosity? And how can I give back to you what you've already given to me? I hope a portion of that's at Horizon. I hope a portion of that is the needs you assess all around you. Let's be a people known for being as generous to others with forgiveness, with money, with grace, and with patience as God has been to us. Let's pray together and just worship him for who he is. God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.